this yeah that, that would be part. the sort of like you know mundane alien yeah you know the ones who are like really advanced I think would be able to take their consciousness and just like project it to like another galaxy or like another dimension or something and, yeah you know. I can get down with that yeah all right well welcome to everything went black podcast and uh, before I get into my hangout with uh, tonight's guest Carl and Holland I was going to get some of the plugs out of the way um, as you all know, I'm a huge fan of the uh, P-cubed pants, which I'm actually wearing right now, coincidentally. They look good. Yeah, they're, you know, they're an all-purpose sort of utilitarian. Um, I've been wearing these for like the last five days. <laughs> and uh, Clothing Arts, my good friends at Clothing Arts, have uh, bestowed upon us a discount code. So any of our listeners who want to go check out their website at www.clothingarts.com, and you want to buy any of their great products, you can uh, put in EWB20 and you get some kind of sweet discount on uh, clothing. Uh, we have two other affiliations. One is Onnit Labs, who um, everyone's probably heard me rant and rave about Bulletproof Coffee and MCT oil, you know, all this sort of organic, you know, human enhancement sort of trips that I'm on. Click on the uh, portal on the Everything Went Black podcast website and I get to wet my beak if you order something that's a way for you to help us uh, support the podcast and last but not least um, a former guest on the podcast Datsusura gear bags we had Chris O'Dell the founder of that company um, a couple of episodes ago and um, if you're interested in getting uh, all hemp bags you know fight gear they sell jujitsu geese um, I get a lot of use out of the, uh, the battle pack, which is, uh, this massive hemp, you know, gear bag, which fits like everything I could ever use in there. And, uh, you know, it's an all purpose kind of thing, man. You can put all your, your fighting equipment in there. You can take it on tour. You can throw a laptop in there. You can throw all your old socks and that sort of stuff. So interested in that kind of thing. You go to the, uh, to the pot, to the, um, everything went black podcast portal for the dots of sorrow bags you go through and then we get a, uh, to get a taste of that purchase. It doesn't cost you anything, but we get a little kickback to sort of keep, keep the, uh, the gears, you know, lubricated and everything sort of moving in the right direction. So, Carlin, you're like a legit artist. A lot of your, you had work shown in different shows and whatnot. And most recently, the last couple of years, you're, you curate a, uh, fairly regular show called uh, Dreams Were Made for Mortals, right? One of the things, um, I think I recognize that as a phrase or some sort of quote from something. Where, where, do you, where did that name come from? It's from Living Backwards by St. Vitus. Okay. Song lyrics, keeping with the, the theme of things. Now, what, uh, you know, what was the sort of impetus behind starting that? You know, that's sort of uh, the show. It's like a group show that you do. Yeah. So. Um, I had a lot of friends who were artists who just needed more opportunities to show their stuff. Many of us were friends and uh, it was kind of a selfish motivation. I really wanted to see what everyone was working on and what they were doing, but I didn't have time to go to everyone's studio necessarily or, you know, I just kind of wanted all of them to come to me. So I curated the first one and um, it was a success and much more so than I thought it would be. And so we just kind of kept them going. How many have you done so far? Five. Five. And uh, planning a sixth one for December. Okay. 
What are some of the, uh, the you know, any, any notable names that people might recognize? Uh, Brian Montori has shown some of his paintings. Uh, he was in Psychic Limb, sang for Dillinger for a minute. Every now and again, he does a logo that just blows my mind. Um, who else? Owen Runquist was in it. Um, and also Alex DeMaria. Sometimes they collaborate as Under the Same Shadow, which does sound installation work. And uh, they also curate shows um, from time to time. Uh, Delight Bakera, it was her first show in New York while she was still going to SVA. And uh, she was super excited. And I just can't even believe what she's been up to. It's heartwarming and inspiring to see someone so young just go for it like that. The last one I was at because my uh, my lady friend Jacqueline had some pieces in there and uh, yeah, bloodbath and beyond. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Brandon. Well, actually, her and Brandon both DJed that. They were one of yep. the DJs for the evening, two of the DJs for the evening. Um, that massive chainmail uh, that Matt Kepler did. Yeah, that was something, man. <laughs> yeah, it was two hundred fifty pounds of something. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. was awesome. uh, that was the like, you know, that sort of grinder tedious like repetitive kind of thing is something that really appeals to me you know like I, I I'm always like really interested in something that is like brute force kind of repetition that manifests into like something interesting like that yeah you know when you break down the actual I mean I should actually talk to Matt about this I should have him on here um, when I first saw that thing, it basically, it's, why well, don't you describe it? Like, what, what is this piece that Matt did? You know? It's a series of key rings that have all been joined together to make a chain mail, basically. Yeah. And then he fitted onto a dress mannequin to be a really sexy halter top chain mail dress with the, like, 10-foot train yeah. or something like that. And yeah, it weighs 250, 300 pounds. 300 pounds? Yeah. Wow. He has to break it into two pieces so that he can pick up each piece and physically get it into a car or, huh. you know. 300 pounds. Yeah, thereabouts. I put it on at the end of the night. I'd say that's... Oh, uh, there was a photo, I think, yeah. on Instagram or whatever. Yeah, but. I had to drag pieces of it and then walk a few steps and then drag. How did it feel carrying 250 pounds of extra weight on, or 300 pounds well, of extra weight Well, it's on? only about maybe 50 pounds like that's actually on you and the rest of it's on the floor. Oh, okay. The bulk of it is the, is the fan train huh. that follows it interesting well that's the thing that got me was this this um you know i'm a big fan of repetition and just like you know getting into like the the mind the minute technique of things and yeah. that's uh when i first saw that i was like damn the hours that must have went into putting that thing together yeah you know? i think he said it was a couple years yeah 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 i used to live with matt you know did you we were roommates um I don't know, like six, seven years ago. And, uh, yeah, we lived out on Montrose Avenue and, uh, yeah, Matt, I didn't know Matt when we first moved in. It was, um, an old friend of mine, this guy Hunter and, uh, Matt, we needed a roommate. He moved in Yeah. and, uh, we got to be, you know, I, I consider him really, you know, a good friend of mine. I like, I like, you know, Matt's a really interesting guy. Matt's a great guy. You know, he's been in the show a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. yeah. Um, the fact that I live like six blocks away from St. Vitus, I should probably actually go to more of these because I always have a good time. Like I went, I think your second or third one maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's really fun. That was you in know? the winter. Was that the one in February? 
I know it was cold out. Yeah. yeah. It was definitely cold. That was a good one. Yeah. You're also, you're working at St. Vitus too, right? Yep. You're still doing that? I do Saturdays at the door. You're requisitioning souls? Yeah. Well, I used to call it, I used to call it voiding souls because originally we had a void stamp. Oh, okay. And then they got rid of that for an invoice stamp. And I was like, well, that still kind of works. Yeah. Invoicing souls. What, uh, so do you have like a formal, a formal background in art or fine art or anything like that? Or you just I do. started doing it? I do. Um, I took my first college level class when I was still in high school. I took classes at the Corcoran and the School of the Art Institute in Chicago. Are you, are you from that, that no, part of the country originally? I um, was born in Germany. My dad was in the army. Oh. And okay. uh, we moved around until I was like nine. And then he got a job in Maryland as a contractor. And that's where I grew up. Um, and then my first year of college, I went to Pratt in Brooklyn and did that for a year and then transferred to the University of Chicago where I ended up getting a degree in visual art, but oh. studied a lot of other things too. So that you, you know, you got your, was it a bachelor's degree or? Yeah, okay. it's a bachelor of yeah. arts. Yeah. Some of the work that I've seen, it has a, a sort of strong like design element to it as well. Um, you know, there's a lot, I've, it's not all of your work, but some of it has like, you know, angles and sort yeah. of like a, are you interested in sacred geometry at all or? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not something I study intently, but, um, I appreciate it. It's beautiful. Yeah. You know, um, I incorporate more scientific principles if I go that route. Like I've started researching, um, mineral crystallography, Okay. the way crystals grow yeah. and their structures and the geometry of that and how the atomic chemistry determines what shape it's going to be. You know, I'm an engineer. Kind of thing. I you know, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> Just want to throw that. Nice. You know, I, what so kind I know, of an I know engineer? What talking about, you know, when you say, you know, yeah, all this stuff, I'm, you know, I have a background in this kind of thing. Excellent. <laughs> but, um, also you, uh, you've done a, you mentioned logos, but you've done a couple logos, you know, a few Kralis one in particular. Yeah. That's yeah. the most popular. Yeah. Dysrhythmia. Uh, one for Deaf Heaven. That was a collaboration with Nick Steinhardt from Touch More. Huh. You know, it's funny. Like, uh, it's a, it's only in the last few years have I really appreciated a strong logo. You know what I mean? It's like uh, you know, being a metal fan. Yeah. The um, I kind of took for granted that uh, a lot of these bands had these sort of unintelligible logos. And at first I was like, you know, when death metal bands, when I started getting into death metal, I was like, what the hell is this? I can't read this name, you know? And, but then I actually started appreciating the fact that you're not, it's not so much reading the name, but it's like identifying the shape and yes. using the logo as a, a sort of manifestation or like uh, this kind of archetypical representation of the band, yep. you know? So like when you are asked to do logos for bands, like what's what's your process? Like how do you, you know, what what is what is the sort of process of coming up with a, with a strong logo, basically? Well, the first thing I do is I listen to their music, right? And I get my own feel for it, and then I ask them for a list of other logos and other bands, bands that they think influence them, and logos that they like, so I can get a taste for their taste. But then I also want the logo to look like it came from the same place as where their music is coming from. So, you know, you should be able to look at a good logo and know if it's a grindcore band or a death metal band or just something fucking weird like Oransi Pazuzu, you know? 
Yeah, we played with them in Roadburn. Oh, I am so jealous. That was uh, one of the coolest things. Oh that, my god, they're like, my favorite band right now. Yeah, they're by amazing, far. Man. They were great. They were perfect. They sounded man. exactly. They were everything you'd hope they would be. Um, yeah, I remember when we did Roadburn. It was like what two years ago at this point. Um, you know, like you know, it was great just to be asked to play that. But then when we saw the lineup, yeah, we, you know, it was um, Aranci Pazuzu. Um, unfortunately, they played the same time we did, but it was uh, Necros Christos. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, you know, Sleep played and The Obsessed and all those other bands. Right. But uh, I was really, really excited to see Aranci Pazuzu and, and see their whole set and everything. You know, yeah, that's like, um, like what do you what do you think of that? Uh, that's that's like that sort of psychedelic space black metal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are you are you you're you're a, a very a pretty well versed metal you know music appreciator you know fan. Yeah. And uh, you know, are you the type of person? Well, well obviously not because you like Arancy Pazuzu, but you know the sort of true black metal <laughs> like you know. What do you what do you think of all that? Like you know, some people only allow themselves to like certain styles of music or certain subgenres of certain things, or they don't give certain bands credence because they're not like you know satanic or. Whatever. I mean, I kind of have a metaphor for it, which is that it doesn't matter how big the city is that you're living in if you still go to the same bar every night. You're a townie, so you know, I'm I'm a curious person. I like to know as much about what's out there as possible, yeah. and not just music like watching the MIT channel on YouTube and, you know, listening to the news and going to movies and just making myself, you know, aware of as much of the world as I can. I really appreciate that sort of, the certain bands that do put that kind of psychedelic element into black metal because, you know, like black metal is definitely, there's like this sort of, um, you know, sort of, I'm not going to, for lack of a better term, a spiritual element to it where, you know, there's like at least, you know, a sort of acknowledgement of another sort of state of consciousness maybe. And, you know, either, you know, either it's obvious stuff like Satan or like, or, you know, Norse mythology or something, but then you get like, you know, these more like esoteric bands, um, like even Watain, you know, as much as like they're like satanic I think that they try to go deeper into the sort of pre-Christian ideas of like good and evil, you know, darkness and light and that sort right. of stuff. So, you know, bands like Arancy Pazuzu are, you know, taking all these elements and, you know, sonically they're, they're not just limiting themselves to like, you know, just a strict black metal interpretation of things. Yeah. You know. And I think they've got a bigger idea and they're really exploring it as far as they can. So there's um there's another show that you're involved with that's coming up this month, right? Yeah, so on the twenty fourth. What is that? On the twenty fourth. Um, it's uh called Skulls, a Death Heads Gallery, and it's curated by John LaMancha and uh, Joe Malazzo. Okay. Um, and they invited a bunch of artists. It's me, Selden Hunt, Fade Kaner, a few other people. Um, we all did one piece of artwork in monochrome that features a skull. Um, and that was our assignment, I guess you could say. And then there'll be a few bands playing too, which oh, cool. I could look up who they are. Yeah. I don't remember off the top of my head. You know, Fade and I are doing a band. Yeah? Yeah. You know, we're, well, we, uh, tell me about that. A lot of people haven't really talked. We haven't really, 
you know, released this information out to a lot of people so far. But yeah, it's um, listeners, it's, you're the first to know. Yeah, you know, you know, you know, you and like the, you know, four or five other people. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's me and Fade and Charlie Schmidt from uh, the fuck's the name of that band, man? Oh, Vora. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Nick and Sean from from Hall. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I mean. We, we share a practice space with Hall, so it's like real easy to get together. Is that still by the Acheron? It's literally right. It's essentially the same building. It's As like, the, yeah, it okay. It is the Acheron, basically. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're in there and, uh, nice. you know, we're, we just recorded a few songs and, you know, haven't finished it yet, but, you know, it's coming together. But yeah, Fade is someone I've admired for a long time, actually. Um, so I'm real excited to be, to be doing something creative with him, you know. You know, it's you've seen that guy around forever, and you know, yeah. I thought when he joined uh, Batolis, that was like good move for definitely them. Definitely a good move. Yeah, so. I really like his electronic industrial stuff too. Yeah, I think he was a good addition to Theologian, who I also did a logo for, and uh, Static Bloom, which he doesn't play often. It's a solo project, but yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. Theologian, not Theologian, I'm familiar with. Yeah, brutal stuff. Are you, are you into like a lot of that sort of, um, you know, bands like Locrian and that yeah, kind of absolutely like sort of undefinable, there's elements of doom, there's like atmospheric elements, there's like these, yeah this darkness, you know. Sometimes it just spaces off into yeah. static, yeah. Yeah, Locrian, I really, really got into. Um, Terrence is an awesome guy. I, I only know those guys through email because, um, you know, they're on Relapse, the same label that we're yep. on. And, yeah. um. I went down there, uh, you know, I had a meeting with those guys to plan our new album. And, um, you know, they gave me like this box of CDs and vinyl and all this other stuff. So uh, one of the records I got was was that the last, the latest Lockerian record. And, um, you know, I didn't really, I didn't right away, didn't get into it because I wasn't sure like, you know, there was other stuff that I was familiar with that I got into first. But I put that on and it was like, you know, I was going through like, you know, CD after CD of like brutal death metal. And then I put the Locrian in and I was like, whoa, this is like something that I haven't ever. It was familiar, but I hadn't really quite heard it done that way before. And um, ever since then, I've been all summer long. I listened to it and I started getting into the other material. Um, you know, there's that split with horseback. Yeah. And then I started seeing their videos. Yeah. And. There's that one video, man. It was an augury of a tower or something like that. It's like the really psychedelic one where it's basically, uh, you know, just reality like spinning into these mandalas and and. Uh, I don't think I saw one? that you one. Check that one. Yeah, out. Yeah, I gotta check that out. Yeah. That's excellent. And uh, and that that really was was um, it blew my mind. So. You know, I started getting in touch with the guys at Relapse, and I was like, nice. "Yeah, man, you know, Lockerian, man, let's, you know." So we just traded a couple emails with those guys, and uh, apparently, I know one of the dudes from the. I think um, I can't remember the guy's name, man, but we met in the '90s sometime when his old band played with one of my old bands, and I have the demo that he played on somewhere in, in this room, and it was a band called Break of Dawn, and. Uh, he was like, yeah, man, you know, we met in like, you know, the summer of like 1998 or something like that, <laughs> which is kind of cool because I remember Break of Dawn being just like, you know, 
a good band, but like uh, it's just metal hardcore kind of band. Yeah. And now he's doing this like really incredible, you know, work with with Lockrean. So nice. It's kind of cool to see people progress as opposed to like just tread water and like stay at that same spot. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Move on and make something new. Yeah. So like with the artwork that you do, what basically is um. You know, what's your sort of inspiration for that? Like, you know, what do you, where do you get inspired from when you're doing your artwork? Oh, um, well, the piece I have in the Skull Show, I looked back at uh, some anatomy drawings um, and ended up basing it mostly off of one piece by a surgeon in the 18th century named William Cheseldon. He did a book called The Osteographia. That's the first atlas of every bone in the body at life size. Okay. So the largest plate is the size of a femur. Um, and then there are various ones that have the full skeleton illustrated out. And uh, I kind of, I took one of the, there's one skeleton and it's praying. And I took the skull, copied it at a much larger size and put a halo around it. And then gave it a deformity around the auditory canal, which is where your ear is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called surfer's ear. Which I thought was funny. Surfer's ear. Surfer's ear. Huh. Um, if you're exposed to a lot of cold water, sometimes the bone thickens up and you can go oh, deaf. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Um, and it was kind of a tribute to Deaf Heaven, a band I really like and uh, like to work with, you know. And um, also, are those guys you know, surfers? Well, they live in San Francisco. Oh, okay. I don't know. Maybe they're um, weed surfers. I don't. <laughs> limo surfers I don't know they actually go surfing in the water or such but I think San Francisco is kind of cold for surfing mm-hmm. yeah yeah but um yeah and then otherwise um I've been working on a sketchbook front to back that's mostly automatic drawings what's that exactly um it's a French surrealist method of drawing where you just kind of start with a line let let do whatever you're not trying to draw anything and then I draw over it again and again and again until it becomes um just abstract line work sometimes it's based off of something recognizable but more often than not I just sit down and draw something that's completely made up on the spot you know one of the things that interests me about you know when you're do you do you find that even though it's random that you start developing patterns absolutely yeah. And the whole book is, I mean, you flip from page to page and it's clear it's all drawn by one person. They're all in a similar style. Actually, I have it with me. Yeah. Oh. Check it out. You mind if I uh, snap an Instagram of it? Yeah, please do. And there are many of these up on my Instagram as well. I mean, the only one that actually looks like anything is the very first drawing. Yeah. And then after that. So any of you out there who are on the uh, Everything Went Black Instagram, um, I'm about to uh, show something here that Carlin's currently working on. It's probably something that you have up too, but. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, so, so do you def- patterns definitely develop though, even in this sort of random. Yeah. I mean, as you flip through it, you can just see, like, it goes in and out of looking like something and just looking like nothing. Like, yeah, that definitely looks like a cathedral, but is that a rose? Is it a cloud? Who knows? You know? So, yeah. 
So like some of your past work though, like, you know, what, what's, uh, you know, typically where do you draw, like, you know, what, what sort of is the progression? Like you didn't, did, you didn't always start your working on pieces like this? No. Um, I have been working on a series of portraits for, I don't know, going on seven or eight years now. Um, and drawing in this style, the abstract lines started because I just needed to warm up, get okay. things going, you know? So when I'm drawing something that, you know, looks like this, you can't really make a mistake or if you do, it just gets pulled back into the drawing somehow. Right. Um, and then I would work on the portraits, which were, you know, much more like this first drawing and they're technical, yeah. you know, you can make a mistake there right. and it can't always be pulled back into the drawing. So that's how those started. And the very first ones all looked like forests. Um, and Kralis actually ended up using one of those forests as a gatefold in one of the LPs. Um, yeah, they started out as practice. And then I found that even the practice could become something for itself. Um, I still work on the portraits. Um, Mick Barr, Brandon Stussy, some other people that we know are sitting in my portfolio oh, waiting cool. to be turned into demons. <laughs> and uh, Is that that drawing, is that anyone in particular? No, like that's just... Devil baby or... Just one know? I made up. Yeah. yeah. One of my imaginary friends. <laughs> but um, let's see, what else have I... I've been doing uh, some paintings of clouds lately um, that I'd like to do large scale as giant murals. Um, and then I've got a mural in Colin Marston's studio that I've worked on on and off for oh. years now. I've never been out to his studio. Oh, yeah. yeah. We keep meaning to throw a party just so everyone has an excuse to come out there and, and see it. Is it out? It's, it's kind of like, um, what is it, Queens somewhere? Like, yeah. It's like Jamaica. Kind of, oh, okay. Oh, so it's like yeah. really far, far it's like way the far e out. It's way far out. Yeah. Like that. That's why Psychic Limb made those two albums, Jamaica, Queens. They recorded both of them in that studio. Oh, okay. Yeah. One of the things, like, you know, because, you know, I'm in, obviously I'm interested in creation, you know, you know, playing mm -hmm. a band and whatever. You know, when, when you're like a young kid trying to figure out what you want to do musically, you know, like for me personally, I was listening to like a lot of Black Flag and Sabbath and you know, Slayer and stuff like that. And then, you know, kind of use that to propel me into some other you know, level of consciousness that makes me sort of create other things with art, you know, what, what is for art? Like what would be the equivalent of that? Like that's always been interested me about people who, who do visual work, you know, like what is it like from the early part of your life that inspires you to actually create imagery, you know? Hmm. Wow. I don't, I don't know. It always seemed kind of magical, you know, I'm, I remember seeing paintings by Van Gogh and Michelangelo as a young kid. I've just thought, how is that even possible? You know? Um, and it was something, it was actually something I never thought I'd be that good at. I just right. really enjoyed. Okay. And I kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it. And then uh, one day I looked back and, had made something that I was kind of like, wow, I, I did that. All right. So you it was know. something that you recognized early on in your life. Like it wasn't like some late blooming sort of talent that you had. Right? I would say drawing is the only thing I've always done. Yeah. You know, yeah, I remember 
being very, very young with crayons and markers and being aware that I wanted to draw a picture or I wanted to draw a portrait or I would look at visual references, postcards and Monet paintings and things like that and want to copy them, you know. Did you find that like in your the work that you're doing that you had to do a lot of studies on certain things? Like if you were doing more um, like these portrait type work that you do? Like, do you actually have to do like a lot of different studies to sort of come up with that? Or, you know, I guess when I, what I'm getting at is like when I write a song, it's like, you know, it starts this thing, this little couple notes or whatever. Yeah. And then I, I look at it, I, I approach it from all these different angles, you know, and just like, you know, beat it up and do these different things with it and, you know, grind it out and then turn it into some other thing. So, I mean... When you have an idea for like a, a piece, you know, that's not just, that's not a, um, one of these more abstract pieces, which has more of like an illustrator quality to it, like a portrait or something, right. you know, do you come right out with, with the sort of layout of that whole thing or do you, do you study it? Do you have different studies and different, you know, sketches and all this other stuff? Like what, what's, how does the creative process differ with that than it does with the more abstract pieces? Um, I tend to always work towards a finished product. Right. Um, so I just work it into the ground over and over and over again until I've made it enough times that it's the one I want. Um, sometimes that means I do it once. Sometimes that means I end up with several, several versions. Um, I also tend to work on things, many things at once. You know, I, I have a portfolio that's got 20 or 30 drawings that are all half done in it. And I just go through them, and the one I want to work on is the one I work on that day. Oh, okay. You know, so sometimes it takes me years to finish something, but that's because I'm constantly sifting through it. So stuff sort of gets put in the back burner sometimes. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, do you work on your art every day? Is it something that there's like, you know, okay, from like, you know, five to like, you know, whatever, eight o'clock, I'm going to be doing drawing or whatever. Is right. that something that you have scheduled into your busy schedule no. you know, or you just kind of do it when, it when it grabs you I mean I do it every day but it's not I don't yeah. have it scheduled yeah I just think that stuff's interesting because like for me I have to have like a very regimented you know thing to get everything done otherwise I don't do it it's like you know I like to think that I'm the kind of person who's, oh yeah I just get everything done but it's like if I don't if I don't look on my like little piece of paper to tell yeah. me how to do I end up watching Netflix all day or something like that you know or like you read comic books or something right. you know, or like you know whatever just go hang out somewhere <laughs> instead of yeah. getting the work done I give myself deadlines yeah okay. so you know sometimes that means some self-imposed all-nighters but you know yeah. that's how I do it I don't have I don't have office hours no off office hours no, no. <laughs> no like memos or anything like that <laughs> you know? to the staff to the we staff. really appreciate you being here five minutes early that way everyone can have their coffee and say hello in the morning before they have to get to work that that's like kind of what my day-to-day -day life is actually i mean I, I work in an office you know sometimes kind of is that the real know. life of an engineer yeah i mean i i kind of managed to you know put myself in this sort of position where I kind of come and go and no one really knows if I'm supposed to be in the office or I'm supposed to be somewhere else or if I'm working home. So I have this like vague presence, you know, that sounds ideal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my, 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 
people I work with know how to get in touch with me. They just call me or email me. And, uh, right. So I don't know how I'm not like shackled to like a desk or anything like that. But I have worked a job, you know, jobs that were like office space, you know, like just like the other day, um, you know, there's like this safety training regimen I had to go through or, you know, how to use a, you know, fire extinguisher, you know, noise, uh, you know, like hazardous waste disposal, like all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, there's like some project number that you got to charge your hours to. I mean, this is right. You know, right. I can see the react, your body language is changing <laughs> oh. as I say this, you know, uh. but, uh, yeah. So like my boss who I've never met, he wor- he li- he works in in Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay? Yeah, that's where his office is. We've never met face to face. Okay. When I interviewed for this job, I, w- I I met in a conference room with one guy who I knew before because I'd worked for this company prior, and two other people that were these like disembodied voices that were conferenced in. Yeah. And that was my job interview. So one of those guys is my boss, and like I don't, I've never met him before. You know, talking the phone, email. So. We had this conversation about, you know, these like very, very detailed time charges and, you know, allocating certain things for this particular overhead expense. And it was very much like office space, like the TPS report, uh, you know, scene in office space where the guy's like, you didn't get the new cover sheet, you know. And at the time I was like, man, you know, like you're making like, you know, a six figure salary and your life is like reduced to like some putting like a number of hours into this slot, like on a data sheet, you know, on a good uh, day. Yeah, man. And I'm just like, I don't know, like that kind of stuff, you know, you sort of think about things like at the time he was talking about this, I I was thinking about like, you know, rogue planets that don't they don't have a solar system that they're part of and how far away like you know the space between galaxies are (laughs) and that distance using that distance as a gauge to the significance of whether or not I put like a six or a seven into this slot made everything seem completely meaningless to me yeah you know pretty much (laughs) but uh but yeah you know (laughs) that's the that's the office life so I'm glad that you don't have you know office hours or like, you know, you know, some really horrible coffee machine that everyone collects around, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So working at St. Vitus, uh, you, there's, there's tons of good shows there. So many. Did you, have you been working there from the beginning or, you know? Uh, pretty close. Um, I did the first art show. They'd only been open a few months and I started working there shortly thereafter. Um, I forget exactly when. What were some of your favorite shows there? So I know I've seen a ton there. Oh man, uh, Carcass recently was amazing. Um, Inquisition, that one of my favorite bands to like see live. Them? Yeah, I love okay, them. I like their records. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about them live though. No? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I like them live. I was so surprised they could get the that full of a sound just from the two of them. Okay. Um Okay. okay I, I'll, that's your opinion. <laughs> Go with it. Nah, I mean, I, you know, whatever, man. People do what they're going to do, but I, the records, I think, are brilliant. Yeah. You know, I just didn't feel it live, really. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Let's see. Who else? St. Vitus playing there. That was just bizarre and amazing, <laughs> you know? 
Oh. And then seeing all my friends play there, that's really been the best part, you know? Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to think about. Like, like Vi- St. Vitus has done so many great shows that it's become the norm. You know, it's this part of, you know, just the reality of living here. In yeah. This, in this, you know, Brooklyn or, you know, New York City. Thank goodness. We are blessed. So it's hard to think of a time before that place existed because there was a void, really. Yeah. You know, and uh, cause prior to St. Vitus, the inception of that place, there was, uh, what, Europa? Was there a lot of metal shows were? Yeah, the Acheron's more of a punk venue. Yeah, the Acheron. And well, the heavy Acheron's metal just, shows yeah. were pretty much at Europa, and uh, that place is not that much fun. On both sides of the fence, I hate that place. Like, I hate playing there. Yeah. And I hated going to see shows there. And some of the reasons overlapped, such as there always being this curfew and, you know, at, I don't know, midnight, the show, everyone had to be out because these, like, disco dancers came in. And, mm-hmm. and as, like, someone going to a show, that sucks. That's a drag, you know. And all, But also, as a, as a band, like, trying to load out during this whole debacle of like heavily perfumed people males and females heavily perfumed (laughs) you know sort of like muscling their way into this like (laughs) space to like get wasted you know dance and you know do cocaine and stuff like that yeah um yeah that was brutal but you know that that was really all they had for a while then there was like occasionally i think there were shows at uh union pool yep but you can only fit 80 people there that that's the capacity. That's the capacity of that place. Eight. I mean, if you think if you think about it, no, 80, it makes sense. Eighty seems like a lot, if you ask me. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's yeah. That's tiny. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, Vitus. I actually I want to get Dave and Artie to come on and talk because I think do it. Yeah, that's that's going to be cool because uh, absolutely. You know, I remember when that place opened, thinking like, oh, you know, no one's ever going to. Yeah. Well, I mean, all right. Let me back that up applauding them for wanting to do something as cool as St. Vitus. Yeah. But having sort of trepidations about the location of where it is because it is out of the way. It is the farthest reaches of Greenpoint. Yeah. It's right under the Pulaski Bridge. I mean, it's not really convenient to much. It's almost at the end of a dead-end street, basically. Yeah. You know, Manhattan Avenue. It's a block and a half from the the dead end. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) And, uh, you know... And there's like uh, a bus basically that you can take to go out there. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's not convenient. It's convenient for me because I live like six blocks away from the place. Right. You know, that's great, you know, for me. But <laughs> if you lived somewhere else, like if you were coming in from Manhattan, you know, you'd have a you'd have a, a night of travel ahead of you. Or take the seven train, but then you have to you still have to walk. Yeah, walk yeah. over the over bridge. that bridge. You know. Yep. And uh you know, for those who aren't in, in, in any kind of physical condition, that can be a brutal walk. Yes. It can be like a challenging physical yes. obstacle, you know, if you're not properly conditioned to walk across that bridge, I think, at, you know, at night. And, uh, you know, so yeah. And then, but somehow people seem to have embraced it and it's turned into one of the main venues in New York City for underground music, really. Absolutely. Specifically for metal. Yeah. You know. But also for goth and industrial, too. It's picked up a little bit there. Have they been having goth nights there? Um, I mean, not not like the dance party 80s style, you know. Um, but, yeah, 
Derek Rush has started Morbid Mondays. Theologian had their listening party there. Um, I've seen a good number of Power Electronics oh, cool. shows there that were excellent. Morbid Mondays. Morbid Mondays. Is that like a once a month kind of yeah, thing? Yeah. That's cool. He's just starting it up, but I hope he Akron keeps at has it. A, has a goth night. Discipline? A, yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, since I'm out there all the time, like, uh, there was a band playing one of their nights, but yeah. it wasn't a goth band. It was like this punk band. Yeah. So it was kind of an off thing. You know, I expected to go there and hear, you know, you know, like Sisters of Mercy and Fields of the Nephilim and stuff right. like that. And, but then it was like punks that were there. There's a lot of overlap between those two scenes. Yeah. Nothing changes, um, which used to be the weird party. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I've seen punk bands there. Okay. You know. Well, have you heard of a band called Anast- Anastasi? Yes. Dude. Good stuff. That's that's <laughs> like some real shit, man. Yes. I like that band a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you seen them live? No, I've not had the opportunity. Yeah, they're... Um, speaking of punk, goth, crossover, that's like exactly it. It's like TSOL, Christian Death, like... The excellent, sort yeah. Sort of together, man. That's... Yeah. Actually, Jacqueline told, turned me on to them. She asked me if I heard about them because they were playing with the casualties somewhere, which I was like, oh, you know, I don't know, man. Casualties, you know. Right. It's not really my thing, you know, but... And then she played me the, uh, uh, like a YouTube video of one of their, you know, one of their tracks. And it was like, I was like, wow, this is like on point. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The kind of thing that I like, you know, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's, it'd be cool to like, you know, see them at some point, but I just, I'm so disconnected, I think from what that scene is about really that I've never known any of these shows go on. I don't think that scene has a home in the same way. Like, um, they take part at Vitus, but you're right. Vitus is a metal club through and through. Punk, hardcore, all of that. Yeah. But um, maybe that's the next step. Someone needs to start a good goth club in this city. <laughs> Get nothing changes out of the home sweet home basement. So what, you know? are you familiar with the, with the weird records kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Because they... Um, very rare. What's that, what's that all about, man? I mean, I, I've, I've heard that a little bit about that. You know what I mean? It's a small label. I think there are less than 50 releases on it, and they're all handpicked by um, Peter Shulworth, who's a painter as well. Um, he stopped, he did the Weird Party for like 20 years. Wow. Or close to it. Okay. Um, I'm probably, maybe it's 10. I don't know. I don't actually know. I'm well, still guessing. It's a significant amount of time. A, gu- a okay. good chunk. And uh, he did the um, the Weird Label and Weird Records was just, there's a band he really liked. Um, he was totally behind them. You know, he took money he made from painting and would fund the recording and get them out on tour and, you know, kept it small and kept it to his taste and kept it to what he could manage. And, uh, he decided a year or two ago to be a full-time painter. It's his last show got amazing reviews and deserved every single one of them. And, uh, that's what he's doing now. You ever thought so. about playing music ever? Yeah, I have, but yeah. I've never, it's never come together for me. What, what, uh, one instrument? I played the oboe when I was very oh, okay. young, but since then I've never learned another. Really? Yeah. You never was curious about playing guitar, bass, or... I've had people show me how to play chords and put them together, and I remember what has been taught to me, but I've never spent enough time to become proficient. Does that make sense? Just food for thought. The, um, 
How many guitar players do you know? Uh, so. Thousands. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. That's what I'm getting at. Is that it, it's like uh, a chimpanzee can learn how to play guitar. So right. It's like very. If you ever wanted, that's probably the thing you should. Most likely, you'll find some sort of success with that instrument. Friendly suggestion. That's just food for thought. All right. Because it's uh, not not one of the more, more challenging instruments out there. Right. Know? Right. Or bass. You know. So, um, you know, what, what's, uh, what else is going on on the horizon? You have, uh, we have this art show coming up at Vitus. There's another, um, dreams are made for mortals. And, um, you know, what, what other, what other sort of, uh, Oh, beyond that, want to start some large scale paintings for myself and, uh, you know, winter's coming. So that's when I get a bulk of artwork done because there are not as many shows going on. Yeah. It's cold and nasty outside. It's a good time to stay in and get some work done. I like yeah. the winter, actually. Yeah? And I like fall, too. This is, like, my favorite season. Fall is perfect. Yeah. Halloween is, like, uh, <laughs> coming up. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to, like, um, gear up for Halloween by watching some horror films. And uh, What's on the list? Well, it's funny, you know, do you... Right before we started this podcast... I purchased a, um, I made a purchase on iTunes of a film called Frankenstein's Army. And uh, this came into my, my uh, you know, radar because, well, I don't know, about 10 years ago, there was a trailer floating around the internet for a movie called Worst Case Scenario. And it was, uh, the, the film was never made, but I just saw this trailer and it was like the you know, Mediterranean, it's like some beach in the Mediterranean. And then these like zombies sort of emerged out of the, the water. And they all had like these like Nazi, you know, SS like uniforms on. And, you know, and yeah, I was like, this yeah. is exactly the kind of thing I got to check out. And it was before like the big zombie explosion, you know, right. there weren't that many zombie films out. So, you know, every, every like few months I would try to see if this film was ever going to come out and right. it never did. And then I was reading Blue Morgue magazine, which is like, you know, a staple from my monthly, you know, reading habits. And uh, there's this film called Frankenstein's Army. And I'm like, what a stupid name for a movie, man. I thought it was going to be some, you know, ironic, you know, sort of send up of a horror film. Right. But the the stills from the movie looked cool. Like, there's all these like weird, like fucked up, like you know, sewn together, like anim- reanimated humans with like, you know, their brains sticking out, <laughs> monsters type stuff, you know. And it turned out that the guys who actually had developed that trailer are behind making this film. All right. Yeah. Excellent. So that's what I'm going to watch tonight, man. I'm, I'm excited about it. Did you see Dead Snow? I did. I did. I, I enjoyed it to a certain, on a certain level, but uh, the comedy elements, you know, like... I, I I would rather have seen that with a little bit more of like a, you know, serious tone to it, I think. Yeah. But it was fun, though. I enjoyed it. You yeah. Know? It was tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Did you like it? Oh, yeah. I, I, I Do you like horror it. movies at all? Uh, I get into... I'm not a huge horror movie person, but I have a definite appreciation, you know? Yeah. Um, every Ash Wednesday, I watched, you know, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and mm. Army of Darkness. That's an annual ritual. Have you seen the remake of Evil Dead? 
No. Yeah. See? I'm not. The newest one, right? Yeah, well, that just no, it's, it's like a sort of reactualization of the whole thing. It's Evil Dead 3? It uh, starts in the beginning. Right. Well, just like Evil Dead 2 does. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Um, Initially, I wasn't for it. I thought it was like, you know, Evil Dead was like a perfect film, you know? Yeah. And why remake that? You know? Right. But uh, being like, uh, you know, reading about it and, you know, very much being aware of like all these new movies that are coming out, people whose opinions I actually trusted were giving it really good, you know, reviews. So I went out and I rented it and it was great. It was awesome. Oh, that might be what I... I have it on Blu-ray. Do tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. If you like Evil Dead, because Sam Raimi, though he did not write it or have anything to do with the production was he backs it you know he he yeah. like is like okay you know these guys are all right they did know, it right they did a good job you know i give him my stamp That's of approval good. so but yeah jeff definitely check it out it's like super super gory nice um you know it's a, one of one of the hardest like r-rated films i've seen you know for a commercial <laughs> film you know and i know there's guys out there like probably listening right now who are gonna be like oh you know you didn't see like you know whatever inside but I'm talking about you know American <laughs> that is a good movie too yeah inside yeah oh the man, French, French horror the French slasher film it, yeah the French bring horror they bring it they, there's inside there's uh, frontiers and my favorite martyrs I don't think I've seen martyrs got it martyrs you gotta check that out All because right. it's it's sort of um it addresses things that I find very interesting, you know, like, you know, the idea of consciousness and, uh, you know, sort of, um, you know, what happened, like that sort of transition between life and death, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, it's really interesting because it operates on a couple of different levels. And so, you know, once again, I'm sure that people will disagree with this too, but cause people have hated it and there are people who have loved it and there are people who who are just like so incredibly depressed by the ending that they just weren't into it at all. Right. Know? But yeah, it's, it, it definitely, um, yeah. you know, takes the, you know, the term martyr, you know, you know, someone who puts himself through like a physical travail and they reach this sort of state of where they believe that they see what they perceive to be God or, you know, some higher being, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of the, um, you know, the fuel of the whole film. That's like really what puts this movie into motion. And, uh, you know, it's like the secret society who has been studying that phenomenon. You know, and there's like, yeah. the idea, I mean, that's another thing too. Like the idea of like a higher being or like the idea of our, you know, primate minds when we're under these extreme conditions believing that we see something that is like a higher being than we are. You know, that's always a big theme for me. So Martyrs definitely hits that. Touched know? on it? Yeah. How do you feel about that? About what? Higher powers. Um, I don't believe like in God or Satan or like the Christian ideas, but I think that uh, the thing is, is like, you can't say you believe it in it or not because if the minute I say I believe there's a higher power, then I'm like, I don't believe there's a higher power. But then right. I'm like, well, I don't believe there's a higher power. But then I'm like, you know what? You but don't you, really know. So, right. 
The only answer is like, I don't know because yeah. there's no way of testing any of these theories. Cause I mean, the one thing I do know, yeah. the one thing I do know though, reality is like subjective. There's, it's subjective to the point where there's like a huge percentage of information that we're not even perceiving. Yes. That's what I do know. And, um, you know, by using sort of, uh, you know, like psychedelics or something like that. Um, like if you take psilocybin, for example, like there's this organization called MAPS and they study, you know, psychedelic drugs and, you know, their effects on the brain and all that kind of stuff. When you take psilocybin, apparently it actually shuts down certain filters in your, in your brain. So you're actually perceiving things in a, at a level where you normally wouldn't be perceiving those things. Like, you know, there's like this cat lurking around this room, right? right. Now that cat see shit that we don't even see, man. Like there's, you know, stuff that's like, she's, that's part of her consciousness, like sound and, you know, heat and vibrations that we're not even connected to. Right. And I think that humans, because we had to become hunter gatherers and we had to like, you know, kill animals and like, you know, collect berries and like fight each other off. Like we had focused our consciousness on achieving those sort of goals that all these other things sort of like were not crucial to our, you know, existence. So early man also had like a very, very deep connection to, you know, mushrooms and, you know, you know, psychedelic plants and all that sort of stuff. So that's like, by taking those things, that's where these like ideas of like, you know, there's like a higher power and, you know. Right. So, I mean, I I don't know. I don't think I answered your question really because I was just, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, but if you take mushrooms, you might see something that you think is like a god or a demon or <laughs> you know, devils or fucking serpents eating their tail or, you know, right, right. something creepy, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's really the only thing I can say. It's a non-answer, <laughs> I guess. Oh, what are your ideas about no, it counts. that? Uh, no, I agree. I agree with most of that. Um, I would call myself an atheist, but I would also say that I agree with you that, like, we don't really know... I would say I'm an atheist in that I don't think there's like a conscious, aware presence to the universe that willed us into it. Right. But that doesn't mean that we aren't all connected to some level that is energy or just vibrations. I think that we are a summing of echoes, you know? Yeah. That would be how I describe our existence. Yeah, definitely, you know? And and even like... You know, like you mentioned vibrations, you know what I mean? And and uh, my thing, I believe that there's multiple realities, really, you know. I mean, you know, yeah. because I'm an engineer and the work that I've done in my undergraduate programs in engineering school, <laughs> you know, I've done quite a bit of work with calculus, you know. And so I know a little bit about that subject. And uh, mathematically, you know, there exists other dimensions. There exists, you know... Oh, also, another thing, too. We exist in more than one. Yes. And there are more beyond that. Exactly. Yep. One of the things that, you know who Neil deGrasse Tyson is? Oh. He's probably, he's like one of the yeah, best guys yeah. ever, right? One of the things that he said when he talked about other realities and other dimensions, he's like, well, you know, nothing exists in nature in just ones. There's always twos or threes or fours of yep. everything. Yep. So it's like, with that sort of philosophy then of course yeah there is a there's at least two realities like there's at least two dimensions yeah. or you know other realms of existence or whatever you know you know he remade cosmos 
Yes. Or is remaking yes. it. Did that start yet? No, but I'm all about that, man. Oh, man. We should have a washing party. We should have a night party. over at uh, Vitus, man. Like, it's like, uh, you know. <laughs> Nerd night at Vitus. Yeah, why not, man? That would be excellent. Everyone would show up. Yeah. It'd be that cool. That would be so much fun. You know. Yeah, that's. I think that's a great idea. But so, yeah. So, you're familiar with his work, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know, he, he's a guy. Like, I read a lot of his books and, you know. I'm really interested in his, his like uh, you know treatment of Cosmos. Have you do you have you watched the original? Cosmos? Oh, Sagan, yeah, it's yeah, one of my all time favorites. He was a far out guy, man. Oh yeah, yeah, and someone who also understood psychedelics. His oh, papers yeah. on oh, marijuana. Are, oh yeah, definitely great. Yeah, very insightful. Yeah, he's he's definitely on that vibration, man, for sure. Yeah, you can tell by looking at him. He has that, that <laughs> sort of like that cool like seventies like hair and. Yeah. He's well, just, just that voice. It makes me feel like everything is instantly okay yeah. with the world as soon as I hear it. Oh, yeah. Definitely. He's, he's a badass. Definitely. But, uh, you know, DeGrasse, Neil deGrasse Tyson also has these, um, they, they, he has a podcast, which I don't know, Star Talk. Have you heard that? No, I haven't heard that. Worth checking out. That's, don't waste your time listening to this shit. Go to Neil deGrasse <laughs> Tyson and check him out because he's got a lot of cool stuff to say. They do it live sometimes from the Bell House. Okay. You know that? Have you been there? Been yeah, there? I've gone to the Secret Science Club a couple times. What's that? What is that? Oh, um, they do talks. I think it's maybe once a month, and they call it the Secret Science Club. And it's a scientist who just has a couple drinks and stands on stage and talks about what they do while everybody else has a couple drinks. Oh wow! And it's a lot of fun. Um, biologists, astrophysicists taxidermy anatomy specialists i mean they do a wide range that's cool yeah yeah do you like that venue i just was there for the first time recently i do yeah yes and it's big it's really it's huge i saw i went to that death in june show that was uh i was surprised it was there but still i I thought they might play like webster or something huge but i guess bell house isn't that much it's about the same size isn't it um i don't know well it's it's definitely a lot smaller than Webster Hall. Yeah, it, it's like a six hundred person room. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Are you a fan of them at all? Like, Death you know, in June. Yeah, you know yeah. about them. What you know, the controversy, all that sort of stuff. You ever oh no, I don't know that? what this. All right. What's going on? Do people think the gay men are Nazis? No, 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 no. See, <laughs> you know, they have some. They're they're very ambiguous about their politics in some ways, and then yeah, you know. There's a lot of, uh, you know, is is Douglas Pierce racist? You know, is he a fascist? Does he hate Jews? You know, like, what's his deal? You know, right? Because he said a lot of dodgy things, like in in, uh, you know, in 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 print, you know. But a lot of it is like, like what I've been able to extract from some of the right reading that I've done is like he's like, yeah, he's a little right wing. In, in like a sort of uh, anti-immigration kind of way. Okay. You know? But uh, do I think that he's like a leader of men who's going to, you know, organize like a new neo-fascist group in Europe, you know? and nah. And start putting uh, minorities in camps and stuff? Not at all. I just think he's like an old queen who... You know, he's like the Liberace. <laughs> he's like the Liberace of like industrial music. Yeah. Really. You know what I'm saying? He is. He's like this... Absolutely. Fucking gay guy who loves the whole aesthetic. Yeah. 
of fascism and, you know. And I think he loves the absurdity of his own fascination yeah, with it. Yeah. You know, and he wants to, you know, be exciting and controversial and it gets a little charge out of it, you know, and he likes to, you know, the attention that all of these like young, severe men are yeah. placing on him, these like young, you know, sort of like close cropped hair, steely blue eyed white yeah. men, you know, <laughs> like that they're sort of paying attention to him. And I think he likes that. You know? <laughs> I ran into that once before. Um, fascism? No, a, a gay man who had a kind of obsession with a fascist figure and this ambiguous stance towards all of it. Um, it was a painter that uh, asked me to do a logo for a group show that he was doing. And um, he, it was Kai Althoff and Brandon Stucey did a show called 1221 Mirror Me. And uh, I did this logo that was just 1221. And um, they'd put out a zine and stuff. But Kai and Brandon had started talking a lot about Varg. Oh, yeah, and okay. Kai is very gay, like uh, even kind of af afraid of women in, in an odd way. Um, not an odd way, just I remember working with him at a fabrication studio as well. And he, um, yeah, it. I think women intimidated him in a, in a way, uh, and he was very meek and very shy uh, and petite. But the next time I saw him, he had cut his hair into the like side crop SS like neo Nazi cut. You it's a know, good look, man. You know, it's a sharp look. For and people, had decided he had fallen in love with Varg, even though he knew that Varg would probably want to kill him. Probably, yeah. Or or. Well, you know, you know, I, otherwise I, defame him and, you know, I think guys who are like really, really homophobic are, are suspect to me. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that was like a big, what are you so afraid big of? Big thing for him, man, is like, uh, you know, when he, when he killed, um, what's his name there? The guy who, uh, the guy from, um, the, the guy, what the fuck's the guy's name, man? The dude that he killed, uh, Euronymous. Yes. Yeah. When he killed Euronymous, who was like, you know, this big, you know, he, he was gay and, you know, like, I can't have that in my, you know. right. like, why not, dude? You know, it's like, if you're so, you know, confident that you're, have a certain sexual orientation, like, why would someone else's sexual orientation matter to you, really? You yeah. Know? And that's, whenever people are like super, you know, I'm straight, you know, straight. Like, good for you, man. Good. Cool, you know. Good for you, dude. <laughs> but it's like when they're so they get behind that shit so hard. Yeah, it's just like, you of know, course, you gotta like convince yourself that I guess, you know. But anyway, yeah, Varg. I don't know, man. You know, I love Burzum's Bur music's great. Yes, you know? but uh, you know, but the, that's the thing. The man. best things are made by complicated people. I feel like that's you. You should be able. It should be allowed for you to separate the individual from their creative output, you know? And I think that, you know, people don't feel comfortable with that, you know? I mean, look at, look at, um, you know, um, Ike Turner, you know, to just to pull a name out of the hat. Sure. Brilliant musician, great guitarist, you know, like songwriter, yeah. excellent performer. But would I want him dating my daughter? No. If I had a daughter, that is, you know, or... Do I, you know, not the most healthy uh, attitude towards women. Yeah, you know, no. Misogynist, you know, wife beater. Yet, 
you can forgive him that because of the great music that he's done. On a certain level, you're like, well, that guy's kind of a piece of a piece of shit, but like his music's great. Right. So why can't you know people separate Varg from his music or Douglas makes. Pierce from his music? You know. I think it's easier once people have passed. Yeah. You know. So we have to kill Doug P and Varg, and then people will accept it. Yeah, I think there's there's a certain legitimacy to what you spend your money on supports it in a lot of ways. What you buy is more important than how you vote. Yeah. You know, like that is voting. It's that's the currency. That's what keeps things actually functioning or not. But so once someone's dead, you know that you investing in the music is only for the music, but while they're still alive, sometimes you have to ask yourself, you know, are you really just supporting their music or, you know, do you support more than that? Where I draw the line with that stuff is there are definitely, you know, musicians and artists out there who are preaching a sort of hateful message, you know, mm-hmm. you know, we can pick like a genre, like say, you know, like there's a ton of black metal bands that are, you know, straight up their messages, like, you know, racism and hatred. Right. And so like, you know, like, like, um, you know, Graveland or something yeah. like that, you know, or, or, Thanks you know, a band point. like that. Um, you know, and it's like, then, then you can make the case of saying, well, all right, you know, if I'm going to purchase this, then I'm actually supporting, I'm throwing my, my support behind something that I don't, necessarily agree with right so that's the kind of, i mean for me my personal ideas are like if you're gonna you know buy like that record then you're you have to kind of be comfortable with that sort of message right you know so I don't know, it's such a complicated issue though yeah because you know? like uh yeah that's the thing it's like i like burzum but i probably wouldn't be able to hang out with varg you know what i mean i find the internet to be a great equalizer there um, because you can listen to the music without paying for it in this day and age, um, for better or for worse, you know? How, how do you feel about that kind of stuff? Like, you know, like, well, do you think it's good or bad that there's such easy access to music and things I think like it's that? good. Overall, I think it's good because I'm a socialist. I think that there should be a base level for all people to live and be able to do what they want to do. Um... I think we should all pay high taxes and no one should have to pay to go into a hospital ever. No one. That's me. That's my own opinion. Um, And in that kind of a state, there should be access so that people can continue to influence each other and ideas can move freely and we can build our music aesthetics and our scientific principles and our research to the greatest potential that's good for all of us. And, you know, I would think ideally gets us off this rock and onto other ones out, you know, beyond us. You can, yeah, I agree with so, that completely. I believe in the Star Trek future. Oh, yeah, okay. absurd as right. that you're, you're a Star might Trek sound. Fan? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Do you like, uh, the, which, which ones do you like? You know, all of them? Oh, man. Well, Deep Space Nine is my favorite. Voyager? Voyager's great. I like Voyager a lot. Yeah. Janeway. The, uh, obviously the first, the original series, I was like, you know, that's my favorite one. Really? Yeah, William Shatner. You yeah. Know. Yeah. William Shatner, like, I, when I was a really? kid, I, like, wanted to be William Shatner, man. I thought okay. that guy was the coolest, you know. 
Yeah. Yeah, he was like a, you know, he was fighting everyone. Right. You know, he was like some, like, you know, alien chick. You know, there's always, <laughs> he's like the captain, you know what I'm saying? Every people did what he said. You know, he told people to do things and they, they right. did it, you know? Right. He was always like saving the day, you know yep. what I'm saying? But, uh, my, f- did, did you like that, the original one? Or? Yeah, I mean, I've, I love all love of them. All of them. Yeah. I've seen all of them. Deep Space Nine is my favorite. That's a good one, yeah. You know, I just love the story arc, the way that whole thing plays out. My two favorite episodes, though, of the original was the the pilot with uh, Captain Pike. Yeah. Where he's in the wheelchair. Yeah. It was like a, multi, a two-parter. And then the one where... The, the zoo, alien zoo. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And the one where Spock goes back to Vulcan to mate and he feels emotions... Oh, and he fights. Doesn't he end up fighting he fights Kirk? Kirk with yeah. these cool like staffs with these like axe axe blades on them and yeah. stuff. And uh, he's feeling emotions, you know, maybe for the first time in his entire life. And he was like, "My heart is flame." And it was just like it had to do with mating and like getting, you know, having like uh, his, his Vulcan mate or whatever. Right. That's my other favorite one. That's a good one. I like that a lot. Have you uh, have you seen the, the the movies like the J.J. Abrams? Yeah. Films? Abrams like did a good job reinventing like it. Yeah. He was the right guy for that movie, I think. You know? I mean, I, he made a smart move, too, opening up his own universe. Yeah, kinda, not, and not trying to follow their their thing. Yeah. You know, the, the existing yep. television sort of thing. With know? all its ins and outs and yeah. contradictions that are already in there. You no, know, he just started... He found a way to kind of do it over. Um, and he's such a good filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, they're good. Do you, uh, have you ever checked out Battlestar Galactica? Oh, one of the best TV shows. Yeah, the, the second, the newer, the yeah, later one. Yeah, both of them. That's, that was amazing. Man. The, the original is, is good for a couple laughs, but. It doesn't hold up at uh-uh, all. Uh-uh, no. You know what I mean? And that's like, you know, I just turned my dad onto it. Because, uh, you know, when I was a kid, we used to watch like the original, you know. Yeah. But uh, my dad just got an iPad. So, you know, and he's. We, like a couple of weekends ago, I went up to visit them and they live up, you know, just outside the city. Yeah. And uh, we went to the Mac store, the Apple store. We got an iPad and uh, a Mac, an Apple TV. Yep. So now he's got like, you know, Netflix. Yeah. All that stuff, you know, HBO Go. <laughs> and I was like, you got to check out the new Battlestar Galactica. Future. It's a different thing, mm-hmm. you know, but to have some patience, you mm-hmm. know. You know, Starbucks a woman now. It's not, you know. Dirk Benedict or whatever the hell the guy's she name still was. kicks ass. Totally, man. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's all right. So we digressed, but like your, uh, your, your hopes for the future is to have this sort of, you know, free thinking socialist kind of, uh, you know, sort of trip for the, for the, for our future then. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there are ways to balance it with people who work hard earning a little extra for themselves and everyone having what they need. Well, one of the things I think that is, you know, cause like, I think uh, one, one of the things that is achievement, like if you do work hard, you know, you should have more things for yourself mm-hmm. or, or not. I'm not saying like you should get more money or whatever, but you should get more fulfillment and out of, out of what you're doing. Like if you're putting in a, you know, um, a good effort into something, you know, that should somehow reflect back on you in some way, you know, and I'm not saying like, you know, you got to make more money, you have a greater salary, but you should somehow, you know, maybe it's appreciation or something like that, 
you know. But if we're going to put money and numbers to it, then yeah, maybe you should get more money. But, you know, you should be taxed. There shouldn't be any loopholes in tax. No. You should be like, okay, it's everyone across the board, you know, 40% or whatever. Yep. You know? Yeah. That's, so that way you're contributing more because yep. you're making. You yep. Know, as yeah. you make more, you contribute more. Yeah. I'm about that. Yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah. I just think we have put ourselves in a position where there are people who are talented and gifted in things, not just music and art, but also um, theoretical physics, medicine, that kind of research where you don't always see an immediate result that's marketable and profitable that we want to encourage because it's good for all of us in the end. And so if you give people a base, stable standard of living yeah. where they know they can eat and have a roof over their heads, then you free up individuals who are truly talented and creative to pursue these goals with no guarantee that it will ever pay off. You know? That's kind of what they have. A lot of European countries sort of, you know, like Sweden comes yeah. to mind. I love the Scandinavian model. Yeah. I think it's, it's far more functional and ideal than ours. Yeah, the, uh, the United States is like the epitome of that sort of monotheistic, you know. Yeah. For for being a country where where we claim not to have, you know, you freedom, you know, there's like this sort of separation of church and state. We have a very monotheistic, <laughs> yes, we do. You know, patriarchal like mm-hmm. trip going on here. Yeah. Also, I think to help to help get this uh, government in places I think that everyone across the board as part of a rite of passage should go on like a you know nine or ten gram like mushroom trip you know <laughs> before they become yeah a man or a woman yep. you know and I think that should be part of uh, or some other altering thing like a trip around the world or you know I think people readjust how they think about their relation to each other in different ways I know interviews with astronauts, they say when they get up into space and they look back at the world, that feeling that you get of realizing how small and how brief and how temporary we are, it changes your values and your priorities. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the segment, our lives are what, like, you know, say, if we're lucky, 80 80 years. Yeah. And if you put that up against, like, the age of the planet, you know, or just, and that's not, and the age of our planet, the age of our solar system, the age of our sun. And that's like an infinitesimally small part of this like massive whole. Yeah. You know, and that puts things in perspective when you think about how like meaningless, like, you know, geez, I'm late on my rent or like, you know, oh yeah, I just lost my job. Like that's a potentially catastrophic thing for you. But when you start thinking about like, you know, in the big picture overall, that is like nothing. It's like yeah. a less than a fucking drop of sand in a, in a desert, you know? Yep. The galaxy will blink and our sun will have swallowed this planet and everything else. Yeah. These are the kind so of quick. topics that sort of help, you know, living in like a place like New York where like everything, everyone's so important and, you know, everyone's, you know, their their own sort of, reflection is like the thing that everyone seems to be like focusing on. Yeah. So when you think about like the self sort of disappearing into this like void, (laughs) 
it kind of makes you really appreciate what you have in life. And also, you know, maybe you losing your job isn't like the worst thing in the world. Maybe that's like a doorway that you walk through to go somewhere else. Yep. You know? So, yeah, those are the kinds of things that like, I think kind of keep things moving forward, you know? I agree with that. Well, thanks for coming by tonight. Thank you. You know, we had a good time. And, uh, you know, so once again, like what, uh, where can people reach you online? Um, these days through Facebook and my Instagram, uh, website, hope to go up soon. Been redoing it. Just carlinholland.com. Yeah. There aren't too many Carlin Hollands. You'll find me and a federal judge in Texas. I think it's pretty easy to tell who is who. (laughs) (laughs) So there any, uh, any shows or anything coming up that you're excited about? Um, let's see. I think Sonhead's playing on Friday. Uh, the Body is playing Halloween. Oh. Melt Banana oh, is wow. playing with Dave's new band, Brain Tentacles. Oh, Dave Witt. Nice. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Actually, you know what? He texted me about that. Be it that. And, um, the Mighty Dave Witty. Speaking of Montori, he just did a logo for them as well. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah, the Mighty Dave Witty. He needs to drum for Melt Banana. That's, I want to well, see yeah, that he did, happen. Yeah, know? he did. I know. For, for several years, there was their live drummer. Yeah. I saw him play with Melpin out a few times. You know, Dave and I are really old friends. You know? Yeah. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> no, he, he mentioned. Yeah. It's a choice. All right, man. So, um, you know, once again, thanks for listening. And, uh, we'll see you next time.